sing number 230, 230. Y'all enjoying summer? <laughs> the cold-blooded ones here, the cold-weathered ones here. Uh, amen. Uh, farther along, let's all stand if you can. Number 230. <laughs> Thank you. 
Brother Brandon, open us in prayer, please. Amen. Please do be seated. Thank you, ma'am. Well, get your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. And uh, I can start in verse 4, but just for the context so you know where we are, let's go ahead and start in verse 1. The Bible says, It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came. I'm in 1 Kings, so let's go to 2 Kings. Now we got it. All right, 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, uh, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty-five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, <coughs> the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. And then it begins to describe the right that he did. In verse 4 it says, He removed the high places and break down the images, and cut down the groves, and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Uh, for he clave to the Lord, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served him not. He smote the Philistines, even unto Gaza, and uh, the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years they took it, even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, uh, Samaria was taken. So Hezekiah's kingdom wasn't taken, the northern kingdom was taken. The Bible says, And the king of Assyria did carry away Israel unto Assyria, and put them in Hala and in Habor by the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, and all that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded, and would not hear them, nor do them. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the privilege to sing your praises here tonight. Thank you for the health that we enjoy so that we could be here. Father, we just uh, pray that you would help us to put aside the cares of this world for a time. Speak to us through your word. Help us to understand by your spirit. And then, Father, just help us to embrace these things and help, that, help us to live them before a needy and a lost and dying world. Father, be with those who are apart from us. Pray for those who are traveling. Pray for the travels in the, in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, many are going to be on the road. Just pray for their safety. 
Uh, Father, we do pray for our nation. Father, pray for our leaders. Uh, Father, pray that uh, we would not turn our back on Israel. And Father, we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We do love you and we thank you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We uh, looked at last week at the difference between a believer and a disciple. And tonight I want to look at the difference between religion and a life of faith. And there's an important distinction. There's an important distinction because there's many religious people in this world. Matter of fact, many religions. There's thousands of religions. I don't know how many of y'all know that, but there literally are thousands of religions in this world today. And, uh, you know, when somebody says, well, there's many roads to God, of course, they're deceived by that fact. The fact that since there's so many religions, there must be a whole bunch of ways to God. And yet we know this. God says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And he's not talking about a religion. He's talking about a faith or a relationship, a faith relationship, okay? And so I think it's very important for us. Um, and some of us might know these things, praise the Lord. But I will say this, it's also good for us to be able to articulate or to have such an understanding of these things that we can explain to people why we might be different than them. We're not, we're not trying to be better than anybody. We are trying to earnestly contend for the faith, though, hopefully. And so, if you will, I, I just want to see the difference between religion and faith. And I believe this text is a very good uh, place to take and to look for that. And so, what is religion? Think about it. Look what the Bible says in verse 4. The Bible says he removed the high places. You all see that? And anybody's ever seen a high place? How many of you all have actually been to Eureka Springs, to the temple down there, tabernacle down there? Have you been down there? Really, we got one family that's been to the tabernacle. I think we need to take a trip down there again, honestly, as a, as a group of adults and, and teens even. I think it would be good for us to, to go down to there and to see, because what they have is they have a full-scale model of the tabernacle, but they also have, if you will, the Bedouin tents. Uh, they have an example of a high place. And one of the things that, one of the examples of a high place is a place where they took a lot of stones and it would be on a, you know, an elevated place. I mean, it's a high place, okay. But it would be a platform or a place for worshiping other gods. Where were they supposed to worship God? They were supposed to worship him at, at the tabernacle or in the temple, if you will. Uh, today, we, of course, we worship him by faith. We worship him in our heart. We worship, uh, if you will, our understanding of him through the word of God. And, uh, and so, if you will, religion is different. Religion is not really about that personal relationship. And, and by the way, how do you explain personal relationship with a person you've never seen? Now talk to me for a second here. How do, you, how do you have a relationship? It can only be a, a relationship by faith. Meaning this, that, uh, you know, uh, when Paul said this, I know in whom I believed, I, as far as I understand, he never met Christ except he met the resurrected Christ. Praise the Lord for that. But he didn't meet Christ in his lifetime, but he, he, he did have a faith, and of course he did come face to face with him by faith in a sense. And, uh, and so, if you will, he did have a, a walk of faith um, that we need to learn from and we need to emulate also. Okay? So again, how do you explain something that cannot be seen or a person that cannot be seen? Well, without faith it is what? Impossible. It's impossible to please him. And so, really, if you will, the Bible tells us that faith is necessary for us to be a good witness, to be a good believer. And, and faith is, as we talked about, the difference between a believer and a disciple last time. 
Now, the Bible says the devils believe also and tremble. There's a lot of people that believe in God, but their, their lives are absolutely unchanged, okay? And those kind of people are very much drawn to religion. Why? Well, verse 4 again, look at it. Religion quite often is around a place, not a person, okay? Religion quite often is around a place, not a person. They had their high places. Today, in the Christian faith, what do we have? I mean, think about it. Anybody here ever gone to a big city or a historic city? What's one of the things you want to go see? Churches. Yeah, churches or cathedrals. Uh, if you were to go to Rome, I think everybody would go to St. Peter's Basilica. I mean, it's in the center of the city. It's the center of attraction in very many ways. And it's all built around religion, okay? Uh, anybody here ever heard of that? I'm going to mispronounce it, but the Hagia Sophia. Anybody ever heard of that? Have you heard of that? It was actually a, a great temple. Today, it's a great monastery. Why? Because the Muslims have taken over the city of Istanbul, okay? It used to be known as uh, Constantinople, all right? And, uh, and, and so, if you will, uh, Constantinople, why is that significant? Well, folks, uh, that was the center of Eastern Catholicism, okay? Help me now. What's the center of Western Catholicism? You guys didn't know there was an East or a West, did you? All right, that's why we have Wednesday night, yeah, Rome, okay. And so Rome and Western Catholicism, all right, and remember how sometimes we teach in, in the book of Daniel, there's the two legs, okay. Well, we're, we're trying to teach that the, the false religion, uh, Catholicism, if you will, uh, divided, and there's one leg and two leg. I don't believe all of that, but that, I mean, it is a common illustration. And my whole point is this, is... Uh, is uh, Western Catholicism, Rome, St. Peter's Basilica. All right? You guys familiar? Pope comes out and millions of people stand in the audience and ha, okay? Well, it used to be like that in Istanbul, Constantinople, where Hagia Sophia was, and people would come to this great cathedral to worship God. Uh, when we were in, um, when we were in um, Maine, and I, I waited much of my life to go to Maine and I was so excited, and the thing, please take this the right way, so many of y'all are going to Maine now, it's like, <laughs> I was like, hey, someplace special, and I'm like, ah, we went to, okay, whatever, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and by the, all that's good, but my whole point is this, is one of the things I was struck with was all the very well-preserved churches, beautiful, big, gorgeous churches, and I suspicion, to be quite honest with you, is they were probably quite empty, quite empty. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact, I believe it was the Greek Orthodox Church that we saw when we were up there, they actually had the rainbow flag, and um, please forgive me, but they had transvestites in, in front of the church inviting people into the church. And so please take this the right way, a place is not a walk of faith. Okay, you can come in, you can take over a building, you can look at it and say, oh, look at the architecture, and isn't it wonderful, and oh, isn't this beautiful, and by the way, they are beautiful buildings, okay, they're beautiful buildings. I actually am reading a book, and I've forgotten the title, but that is actually one of the methods for controlling populations, is if you give them a worship center, it helps to control the population and everything like that, and... That's another book for another day, okay? But my whole point is this, is they had their places of worship. They had their high places, they had their cathedrals, and they had their worship centers. Think about this. 
Even the temple had become a worship center. How, how do I mean that? Well, keep your place here because we're going to keep coming back to this text. But again, uh, one thing to notice is if God is trying to make a point, he'll make a mention of it. If he's, if he's serious about it, he'll mention it twice. If God puts something in all four Gospels, he's kind of banging the pulpit, say, pay attention to this, okay? So if you will, go to Matthew chapter uh, 24. We're just going to do a speed drill here real quick, okay? But in Matthew chapter 24, in verse 1, uh, God makes a, a point to show how impressed if you will, the disciples were with the temple. And they were walking in it, and they were impressed. In verse 1, the Bible says, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, folks, you know that has prophetic meaning but I want you to get this. He's saying this. If you think you need this building to worship God, you are mistaken. I'm going to get rid of this building. This building is going to be totally destroyed, okay? And it wasn't destroyed in his lifetime. It was destroyed 35, 40 years later in A.D. 70. By the way, destroyed brick by brick. When God says there won't be one stone upon another, the only thing left with the stone upon it was the wall, the western wall. That's the only thing with stacked stones. Everything else was totally dismantled. Why? Because they had burned it down and all the gold in the building had gone into the seams. And so to get the gold, they had to tear it down brick by brick to get the gold, brick by brick, brick by brick. Can I just tell you this? When God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Okay, go just real fast. Go to Mark chapter 13. This gives us another detail. Mark chapter 13 and verse 1. The Bible says, And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Guys, he's talking about jewels that are implanted into the side of the building. Okay? He's literally talking about big, beautiful jewels. And can you imagine the type of wealth when you're using for building materials? What do we use for building materials today? Yeah, mortar and brick, asphalt and concrete, and by the way, which is essentially mixed dirt. <laughs> All of that's mixed dirt and, 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 and different things like that. Folks, they were using gold. They were using pure wood. Uh, have you guys ever seen the illustration they'll put up on Facebook every once in a while and they'll put a two-by-four from 1900? You guys ever seen that? And can I just tell you there's a big difference in building material even in the last hundred years? Well, think about this. They were using the very finest of materials, the very best of the best. They were using hardwoods, acacia hardwoods. We've been looking to buy some flooring. And acacias, uh, if, uh, if the samples are the same as what's in, in that part of the world, beautiful wood, gorgeous wood. And, uh, and so they had that. They had the acacia wood, and, and then it was covered with gold, and then they had implanted jewels in it. How many of you all think that might have been one impressive building? And, and that's what he's saying here. Look at the stones in there. Wow, beautiful, okay? By the way, the other aspect of that stones would be the building stones themselves. Folks, they weren't doing them with bricks. How many of y'all know many of the building stones in that temple were probably from that wall to this pulpit? Probably about that tall and about this wide, okay? Now imagine, does that take some impressive ability in stone masonry to make, just to make a block that big? 
Look at that. Look how impressive. Oh, you got to just want to worship God when you come here. And Jesus said, I'm going to tear it down. Why? Because you don't get the point of worship. Okay? Look, if you will, at Luke. Luke chapter 21. Look at verse 5. Luke chapter 21. At verse 5, the Bible says, And some spake of the temple, uh, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts. Okay? Can you imagine? Just, he's not talking about all the stuff that we have today, the fake stuff. This is real stuff. Amen. It says, as for these things which ye behold, the days will come in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that there shall, shall not be thrown down. And then in the book of John, he makes mention of that also. In John chapter 2 and verse 20, but for sake of time, we won't go there. You know, think about that today. When churches build, have you ever noticed, it's always interesting to me, especially when some of these franchise churches come to town. When I say franchise churches, I'm talking about they're not your traditional Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran. They're the center and the rock and the whatever. Have you ever noticed how they build these huge buildings? You guys, And I'm not trying to pick on one particular church, but you guys ever been by James River's Assembly? I mean, it's, it's monstrous, it's massive, it's, it's just, if you've ever been inside it, and I, I took a class there one time, it's huge, it's, it's, it's a massive, massive building. And just to walk in is to be impressed, it's just like, wow, you know? Well, think about this, there, that's all designed on purpose, why? Well, so you have room for the special effects. That's true. The sound engineering, we, we had opportunity when we were in Salt Lake City this last year. We went to one of their, uh, their tabernacles. And um, you guys know the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? This was one of the places where they practice, okay? And there were two young lady Mormons, and they said, can we give you a tour? And I said, yeah, absolutely, you know? And they were going to try to convert me eventually, you know? It's like, well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident in my faith. I think I can stand up to it. And, uh, and, um, and so they said, could we give you a demonstration of the acoustics of this building? I said, absolutely, give it, give it to me. And so she walked up to a pulpit that was from here, and I'm trying not to exaggerate, but where we were standing to where the pulpit was, was two-thirds of a football field. This is a big building. Maybe, maybe a full football field, I, I, don't, I don't know. It was a very big building. And she says, she, said, she starts reading a scripture, and she's reading in a softer voice than I'm reading in, and it sounded like there was a sound system, just boom, 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 boom. She goes, now we're going to do the pin test. I'm like, okay. And she took stick pins. You know the stick pins you, you put in dressmaking? And she, and she dropped them, and it was like, shh, shh. Like, whoa. She goes, now we're going to do the small nail test. Shh. You think I'm joking. It was, it was loud. I mean, you could, the pins were like, I could hear every pin that fell. When they dropped those little nails, it was, it was a racket. Y'all understand? And they were bragging about how impressive. And can you imagine the entire choir and going in there and just, and you just have to feel overwhelmed with the presence of impressiveness. <laughs> because please take this the right way. God's not there. Amen. Why? I tell you why, because they don't believe in the God of this Bible. Amen. 
And so if you will, you, you walk into this place and, and the special effects and the sound engineering and, and the performance and the show. And, and, and I, I think I told you all, I saw one time a, a guy was praying and as he was praying, he was literally praying in tune to a matching song. And the, the mist machine was going And as he's praying, please take this the right way. That's all show. That's all show. And yet people are drawn to it. And we see here the difference between religion and faith. That is religion where it's, it's a show, it's an event, it's a, it, it's, if you will. Where, where did Jesus meet? I want you to think about that for a second. Because if you will, they went to the high places and they went to, the, to, to this fancy temple that was built by an unbeliever. Amen. Okay. And, and where did Jesus meet? Well, you, you can answer me or not, but think about this. Did he meet with them by the seaside? Anybody ever been by the seaside? Is that conducive to sermons? You guys know what I'm talking about? So what would you have to do to hear the sermon? Right? Come on now. Uh, he, he did it in the garden. Now that might have been a better place to, to hear. He, he would take and he would, he would go to the garden. He would go to Gethsemane. He would, he, he would go a place they knew of. He'd go to the mountainside. That place did have acoustics. You could, you could go and you could say and, 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 and maybe more people could hear it. Amen. It, it wasn't designed for intimacy, but it was designed for mass soul winning, if you will. Okay. And then he would meet in houses. Houses. I don't know if you know this or not, but back then they didn't have big houses like we got now. I, I will tell you this. I raised, uh, we had a family of seven in my house. We have three bedrooms and one bathroom. I raised seven. You can do it. I will tell you, some people would look at that and say, you can't raise seven people in here. You can absolutely do it. If you're satisfied with what God gives you and you're thankful and you're cooperative, and you, can, you can work it out. That's not to say that the kids aren't going to get out and say, we need a bigger house. <laughs> okay. Which is possible, okay. Um, folks, houses back then were just enough for a place to sit down, prepare a meal. By the way, no, they didn't have facilities in the house. You went out of the house. You guys understand and a place to lay down. These, these were not big places, amen. But if you will, they were designed for the intimacy of, okay, we're away from them, now talk to us, okay. Notice what the Bible says here. Go to uh, Luke chapter 10, please. Luke chapter 10. And I think this shows us a principle about the difference between religion and faith, Okay. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 38 is the story of Martha and Mary. You remember this? And, and Jesus has come to their house and he's, he's teaching them now. And in verse uh, 38, the Bible says this. It says, uh, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received her into her house. Um, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat where? Help me now for a second. Why do you think she sat at Jesus' feet? Huh? Say it again. 
No other chairs? That's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's good. No chairs. That's good. Why else do you think she sat at Jesus' feet? The Intimacy, the closeness. To hear better. She wanted to give the full focus, didn't she? Can I tell you, what? I, I, a lot of churches, the young people don't sit up front. We ought to be thrilled our young people sit up front. And, uh, and the whole idea is I, I sit up front. I, it's, it's, I get the shakes if I have to sit more than three pews back. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because I, 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 when I come to church, I, I just focus in. I, I lean in. I, you'll see me if I'm, I, very seldom do you see me sitting out there, but I, I lean in. Why? Because I, I want to hear. I came here, I came to hear the preaching, amen? And that's the way Mary was, okay? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus because she didn't want to miss a word, amen? Well, the Bible says this. It says, verse 39, she had a sister. Oh, excuse me, verse 40, it says, but Martha was cumbered about much serving. Why? What was her house, Okay. Uh, we always want to get hard on Martha. Can I say this? Martha, in her own way, was being as faithful as Mary was. In her own way. Okay, now it's, it's okay to make the distinction because Jesus makes the distinction. But it was her house. She was trying to be a good hostess. Y'all understand that? Well, I want you to be welcome in my house, Jesus. Uh, but Mary, she should be helping me. Why? Well, because we're trying to be a good hostess. Well, yeah. Well, let me tell you something, Martha, okay? He said, she said this, she said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. Look, have her help me. I want to I make this a, a good place for you to be here. Well, good. And by the way, we can have right motives in the church sometimes and still have misplaced values. Y'all understand? Okay. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. By the way, that, that's not a condemnation. You're, you're caring and concerned. How many of y'all would like to be caring and concerned? Yeah. But, you know what he's saying? You don't understand the privilege of me being in your home. I'm not here for you to take care of me. I'm here to be a blessing to you. Amen. And the Bible says, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen, say it with me, that good parts which shall never be taken away from her. Do y'all see that? You know, Martha was trying to be a good hostess, but Mary was learning all she could from the master. Can I ask you why you come to church? Is it to sing in the choir? Is it to teach your Sunday school class? Is it to make your appearance so you can check it off for the week? Is it, or do you want to come to church because you know it's going to be a long week and you need to hear from Jesus? Amen. And rather than sitting in your pew, well, impress me, preacher, okay? I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to preach, okay? But can I say this? I promise you this. If you'll come like Mary anticipating a blessing, you'll leave with a blessing. It might not even come from the pulpit. It might be from something you observe. It might be from somebody talking to you. It might be from some blessing you were able to impart. Amen? And, and it's all about, listen, I just, I just want to be here where Jesus is. I'm, I'm not worried about what it looks like. Okay? See, religion is all about the, the, the place of worship. Well, 
uh, faith is all about the person of worship. Amen? You know, I, I took a class, and, and um, when I was in college, how many of y'all can remember the classes you took? Anybody who's been to college? I, I, would, I, would, t- I would tell you this, that high school, just whatever. Yes, uh, well, I'm never going to remember this stuff. Can I just tell you there's some classes you'll never forget? And Communication 101 was one of my classes, Okay. And I don't remember anything. I don't even remember if I got a good, good grade or not. What, wasn't much of a student back then. And, uh, but I'll never forget, he came in and he says, if you're going to learn one thing in this class, you need to learn that the medium is the message. I was like, what, what are you talking about? Why do people build cathedrals? Because they're built to impress. You guys get that? By the way, what were the apostles doing in all our evidence right there? Jesus, look at that. Wow, did you see that? Amen. Built to impress. Amen. Built to entertain. And I promise you, in churches today, but even back then, it was all about, well, let's meet their needs and let's, let's, let's get them engaged and ah, built to entertain. Amen. But please take this the right way. That's religion. That's not relationship. Amen. Okay. Built to impress, built to entertain, and I'm going to hit you with a hard one here. Built for comfort. I say this lovingly, but if you can't pay attention because you're uncomfortable, it's the wrong priority. Having said that, we're going to try to keep you comfortable. Amen. Listen, I'm all for padded pews. (laughs) Amen. I'm all for it. All right? But you, you know what? You know what God wants in a church, if you will, religion versus faith? Well, he wants it built so you can hear the word of God. You know what I think? It sounds funny to say this, but I actually think this is an important part of worship. I I do. Why? Because it's good to have a good sound system. I think some of y'all have heard me use this illustration before. When I first got called to preach, my pastor gave me a book called Lectures to My Students. Uh, written by Charles Spurgeon. How many of y'all have ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Okay, good. We're good Baptists. There you go. Did you? Good, good. Good, good. Um, and it's like chapter one is, if you don't have a barrel chest, you're not called to preach. Why? Because back in the day, they didn't have these. And if you couldn't be heard in the back of the room, they're saying, you need to learn how to be. And it literally gives you a chapter on how to lift weights, get a barrel chest. <coughs> Aren't you glad I read that chapter? My barrel has moved. But anyhow. <laughs> you were thinking it. I just said it. Amen. So you need a good sound system. You need a pulpit. Not a stage. This is not a stage, folks. And if you go to other churches, you will see quite often, uh, if you've ever, anybody ever been to an Episcopalian or what we call high church? High church is where it's very ceremonial and they, you know, they're, anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Where are the pulpits there? Yeah. I actually went to a Methodist church one time. They had to climb into the pulpit it was really close to the ceiling by the time he got up there. And they would read the word of God here or, or sing specials or whatever. And then they would come down here. They wouldn't preach from up there. They would just read text from up there. 
and then they would come down here for the show, okay, for the homily. And by the way, uh, the time I went, it was, a, it was a Christmas Eve, and they went up there and they read for scripture the Velveteen Rabbit. Anybody have children? Because it's a children's book about a rabbit. A, a velveteen meaning a, a stuffed animal. And that was the Christmas Eve program. Why did they read the Velveteen Rabbit on Christmas Eve? Well, you don't want to offend anybody. One of the songs that we're going to sing, Lord willing, for our Christmas program is a song called Born to Die. I love that song for a Christmas song. I love the song, One Day. One Day is a Christmas song. You guys know that? And yet, One Day starts in, with the nativity and goes all the way to the cross. Praise God. Can I just tell you this? I, I, we're, uh, 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 we have a burden to take and to tell people about Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and so, if you will, the pulpit is a raised area for the purpose that everybody can hear and can see. The, it's it's kind of like the house having the intimacy of, hey, let's come in here so that we can hear and we can see, okay? Go to Nehemiah chapter 8, will you? Nehemiah chapter 8. This is one of those uh, landmark chapters of the Bible. It would be good to know this one. But Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 4, the Bible says, And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood. So guys, this is not the pulpit. Okay? But having it here, you know what it changes? It puts the focus on the preaching and the teaching of the word right here instead of being a stage where you put on a show. Okay? You understand? Most churches today don't have these. Why? Think about it. You've got to pull it out of the way so you can put the show on. And by the way, most churches you go to today has a portable pulpit. Okay? And you say, there's nothing wrong with that. No, there isn't. Unless it's for entertainment purposes. You got it? There's a reason why that we do things. The medium is the message. There's a reason why this church is designed the way that it is. By the way, it tries, every, if you notice how all the seats are angled, just a little bit like that. Why? So that everybody can have a clear view of what's going on here. And it's not about, of course, the preacher. It's about the message. Okay? And so, if you will, uh, notice uh, again further, it says, uh, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Again, everybody could see him. It says, And when he opened it, what's the Bible say? All the people what? Now, we've had preachers here recently that have asked us to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Folks, this is where they get it. And I, I will tell you this, that I'm of a mind to do that, but I don't want to do it as a show. If and when we do it, I want people to understand what we're doing. It's not about a discipline. It's not about, it's about the fact that, hey, we're getting ready to read the Bible. Amen? And, and so, if you will, even beyond the standing up part, it's the attitude of, he's getting ready to talk to us about God. And it's a sense of respect. It's a sense of focus. You all understand that? And, 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 and then the gum wrappers stop. Okay? And, and the worried about, you know, people squirming stops. 
And everybody stands up and looks up and goes, hey, he's getting ready to read the word of God. That's faith. Religion is sitting in your pew and saying, I went to church this week. Faith is saying, hey, I came to hear from the word of God. And again, if I preach everything I preach tonight, if you know it already, praise the Lord. But can I say this? That can be a refreshing blessing still. Amen. Okay. And so if you will, uh, what, what, uh, if you will, faith, the, the place where you meet to, to preach and everything, it ought to have a good sound system. It ought to have a pulpit where the focus is on the word of God. The respect is on the word of God. And then there needs to be constant attention given to that purpose. And what do I mean? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 6, the Bible says that we should return to the old paths. Okay. In Acts chapter 20, Paul warns them. He says, listen, after I leave, grievous wolves are going to come in. And they're going to try to tear you up. They're going to try to get you to turn your focus on what I've told you is important. And they're going to, you know, pastor, we could build this church better if we could just. And can I just say this? We could let the Lord build this church better if we just focus on what he told us to do. Because his church, he builds it. Um, I was in seminary, and uh, we had just under 40 students, if I remember right. Been a long time. (laughs) And uh, I remember they were trying to get accredited. And so they were really pushing getting more students because more money means more facilities, more professors, and more things to get accredited. And I said, why are you trying to do that? And they said, oh, well, you need accreditation. And I said, why? They said, well, we need more students. And I said, why? And I got to be honest with you, in their push to get more students, they drop standards. They drop qualifications for getting into school. And they got their numbers up. But can I tell you this? Uh, eventually, if they're going to be right with God, they're going to have to focus on, well, what did God tell us to do? What did God tell us to do? You know, I think there ought to be a constant reminder and a constant evaluation of what God values and what God thinks is important and always return back to those things. You know Second Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Amen. And he's saying this, he's saying, Timothy, if you're going to focus on anything, make sure the pulpit's right. Make sure the pulpit's right and preach the whole counsel of God. Don't tickle their ears. And, and say this the right way. You know, in times past, I never um, tried to point the message on me or the pastorate. Okay? But I think I've done the church a disservice for doing that. Because I've always felt like it ought not be about me. But can I just say this? You need to pray for your pastor to have courage to preach the truth. I promise you, if you're praying for it, God will bring it. Amen. And it's hard being a Christian right now, but there's a lot of guys that have turned from the side because they just can't not be successful in the eyes of the world. Well, I could care less about being successful in the eyes of the world, but I'm very concerned about well done, thou good and faithful servant. Okay? And so I, I will say this. Going forward, I'll probably say some things. 
to us as a church that might seem hurtful, would you please pray for me to preach with grace? Okay? But there might be some things we need to hear. I'm not even on my notes right now. Um, things that we need to hear so that we can be successful and have our grandkids still have a church here. Why? Because I tell you why. It's too many people are into the religion. And it's not easy walking a walk of faith sometimes. And so I, I, I would ask you to pray for me to, to have the courage to say what needs to be said. It's hard for me to be the hard guy, okay? And I'm also very averse to teaching or preaching things that benefit me personally, okay? And yet some things need to be taught, okay? And I would hope, you know, that... You would not accuse me of wrong motive. Uh, And I would ask you to pray. Why? As I tell you what, uh, when Jesus said, shall I find faith on the earth when I come? I don't know about you. I'd like to be a part of that faith that's still here. Amen. So we see religion. We see the places of worship. We see the objects of worship. I don't have time to go over this. But they were worried about images and groves and, and Nehushtan, meaning they were worshiping a, a brazen serpent. Uh, Hezekiah called it a brass thing. Well, he says it's just a thing, okay? And, and, and so, if you will, quite often, if anybody has a what would Jesus do bracelet, I don't care. I don't care. But can I just tell you this? You can be a good Christian without one. You all understand? And yet... There was a couple decades ago, boy, everybody's walking around, you got to have that, be a good witness, blah, 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 I appreciate that. But it's not about the objects. It's about this. Okay, it's about the heart. And so I've gone too long on that. So we see here, if you will, religion. We see what real faith is. Look at verse 5 back in our text, because I'm kind of out of time here. But 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5, the Bible says, He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him, for he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him. Notice what true faith is. Verse 5 says he trusted God. Is it hard to trust God sometimes? Folks, I'm telling you, it is hard to do the right thing sometimes, okay? And I don't want to use any personal illustration, but I will tell you this. We're running out of people that have enough courage to do the right thing anymore, uh, you guys ever heard soft times make for soft men? Soft men make for hard times. You guys understand that? And folks, we're living in a world full of soft men. Amen. And so we're going to have some hard times. And it's either going to instill character or it's going to destroy us. Aren't you glad for the greatest generation? It instilled character in them. We've been living on their coattails. But the problem with that is, is now we're raising a generation of people that can't, don't have enough faith to do the hard things standing for Jesus Christ anymore. Amen. Okay, that's why churches don't even resemble what they did 20 and 30 years ago. Okay. 
And so he trusted. The Bible says he clave. That means he, he held fast. Okay? Uh, you guys ever been afraid of... You guys... Uh, I don't know what else to say, but like a roller coaster. You ever hold your wife's hand? Because, you know... You guys don't know what I'm talking about here. These people are going, well, I've got to get a wife, Pastor, to understand this one. <laughs> and something scary is happening. What do you do? You... Okay? And then you let your wife go, ah! <laughs> or she says, stop going, ah! Or just whatever. <laughs> That's what it means. When you're going through hard times, you get closer to God. Please take this the right way. Now's not the time to get farther from God. Now's the time to get closer. He trusted, he claved, and then he didn't depart from following. That's what it says there. He didn't depart from following. You know, too often this is the evidence that one is religious and not faithful. What do I mean by that? How many of y'all know used to be Christians? Used to go to churches. How about this one? Used to be Baptists. Amen? And please take this the right way. I'm not their judge. But I will tell you this. If God's given me a tool for inspection, maybe we ought to use it. And people who don't hold on. Okay? They were more into religion than they were a walk of faith. Amen. We see religion, we see faith, we see the fruit of faith. Look what the Bible says in verse 7. Verse 7, the Bible says this. It says, and the Lord was with him. Praise God. And he prospered whithersoever he went forth. Uh, help me for a second here. He, he was told he was going to die when he was uh, do 42 years old. And he did die when he was 46, 56. 56. I, I might have those numbers wrong. He died young. So he didn't prosper. He was called the greatest king before him and after him. That's prospering. Amen. The Bible says, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. He says, I'm not going to serve the devil. Amen. I don't care how scary he is. I don't care who else he's defeated. I don't care if I have to stand alone in my class. I'm not going to bow down to the enemy. Praise God. That's the fruit of faith. Folks, you know the sad truth is? I, I was preparing something different for this message tonight. I was looking at the different groups of uh, uh, Anabaptists or people who are kind of a, of our line, people who rebaptize their converts. Okay, It's a term I don't like, but it's, it's a term we're bound by. And one of them was called the Cathars or the Cathari. Okay? The Cathari means the pure ones. Okay? And uh, basically, they were the ones that stayed true to the faith when everybody else abandoned the faith. Okay? My whole point was this, is they watched everybody else, when the persecution got too hard, they would convert to Catholicism or they would renounce their faith. And they said, if you've ever done that, you can't be a member of our church. Now, folks, that's a pretty hard line. That's a pretty hard line. But my whole point is this, is he's acknowledging that it's an issue. It's an issue, okay? Meaning, you've got to have real faith to stand up when everybody else is collapsing. Are we living in a world today where people are collapsing their faith? That's not important. That's not important. You don't have to do that. Blah, 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 blah. I appreciate that, but can you give me a chapter and verse for all those opinions? Because quite often they're as fleshly as they come. And it's because they don't have that courage not to bow down to the enemy. Amen.
We see here, he trusted, he clave, and he didn't depart from following the Lord. The fruit of the faith is the Lord is with us when we need him. Verse 7, I said this already, but look at it. It says, uh, it says, the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. And he smote the Philistines even to Gaza, and the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchman to the fence city. I, I, I will tell you this. Uh, it is fun watching the Lord fight your battles for you. When you know, I didn't do that. God did that. Praise God. Okay, that's the fruit of true faith. Because quite often you say, I can't, I can't do it. And God said, well, watch me. Amen. And it will happen. Okay. And then we see the fruit of religion. What is the fruit of religion? Look what it says in verse 9. In verse 9, the Bible says this, And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And if you keep reading it, he took him into captivity. So what is the fruit of religion? Folks, the enemy gets you. The enemy gets you. There was, there was more religion in Israel than there needed to be because there only needed to be one faith. But there was many religions. They served Baal and they served Molech and they served, come on now, amen? They had all their high places and all their gods. And all, By the way, the thing about Baal, you say Baal's one god. No, Baal was thousands of gods because you had your Baal and you had your Baal and you had your Baal. And the Bible says this, that because of that, the enemy got him. The enemy will get you. True faith, listen, true faith has in integrity even in the moments of the deepest defeat. You think you're losing. But you say, you know what? I'm just going to keep believing. Can we sing that song? I just keep trusting my Lord. Yeah, remember that one? I just keep trusting my Lord. I just keep trusting my Lord. I just keep trusting my Lord. Would you go to Job and we'll be done. Go to Job chapter 13. How many of y'all think Job was a man of faith? He was a great man of faith. Amen. And I, I, You can take such strength from this. Integrity, by definition, I saw somebody passing around on Facebook here this last week, but one of the easiest definitions is doing what's right when nobody's looking. By the way, doing what's right when nobody's looking takes faith. Amen? I'm just going to do what's right. I'm just going to do what's right. It's not profiting me. It's not benefit me. I'm suffering because of it. But I'm just going to keep doing what's right because God told me it was right. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Amen? So notice what Job said in, in Job chapter 13 and verse 15. He said this. He said, though he slay me. He's not, he might be talking about God, but he's probably talking about his enemy. Okay? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Come on now. Amen? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain mine own ways before him. Why? Because this isn't religion to me. This is faith. It's a big difference. Better to have faith. And yet, folks, we really do live in a world full of religion. And when it becomes inconvenient, they become castaways. They become tragic stories. They become victims. They become... And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be under that title of they. I want to be under the title of I know, and I'm going to trust him. I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to do it the way he says. Amen. Till the end. Father, we love you. We thank you for the privilege to take and to just open your word, strengthen our faith.